Okay. How many of you know that uh, uncertainty can really freak some people out? It can really paralyze some people. I don't want you to raise your hands, but maybe you're one of those folk this morning. Maybe you're one of the people who are sitting on the verge of some kind of decision, but because of uncertainty, you're paralyzed. You're, you're not doing anything. I want you to really keep that in mind as we journey through the morning because I believe I've got a couple of keys that I can share with you that will help make 2014 a much more productive year than it would otherwise have been. Uncertainty kills passion. And unless we've got passion in life, our life can be pretty boring. You know, I, I run into people all the time and because of my age, I'm running into a lot of people my age who are bored with life. And I've come to realise that a lot of it has to do with the fact that they just don't have any passion for anything. They don't have anything that they're you know, excited about in the future. And all the decisions that they have to make are so large for them that they're not doing anything. And so they're living pretty boring kinds of life. And that's why that guy said to Mandy and I yesterday, can you give me some hints on what to do? And what are your hobbies? What do you keep doing to stay interested in life? There are a few things more destructive than a life with, that's uh, live without passionate clarity. You know, we've all got dreams, we've all got hopes, we've all got aspirations. So the question is, why do some of us realise our dreams and advance forward while others watch timidly, watch from a distance and just hope for some kind of breakthrough? I think the simple answer is uncertainty. It's not really much more complicated than that. Too many of us are seized by the moment of uncertainty. Too many of us are seized by many moments of uncertainty. Instead of seizing the moment, we're seized by the moment. The truth is uh, we live in a pretty uncertain kind of world and I think it's worthwhile just considering for a minute why our world is so uncertain, why we live in this environment of uncertainty. I think the experiences of life really provide us with the answer. You know, the stuff that has happened in life builds around us such an environment, overwhelming environment of uncertainty that we find ourselves paralysed and not really willing to step out and make some decisions. A whole lot of stuff has happened. Remember the Y2K bug? I mean, if you're, you'd have to be about 25, really, to appreciate that. But, you know, everything was going to end. The world was going to collapse. Aeroplanes were going to fall out of the sky. Remember that? We were going to lose all of our life savings because the computers and the banks were going to crash and everybody anywhere would have access to our finances. Man! Everything was going to end and unfortunately there were some Christian leaders running around with their Bibles and saying, oh, all of this is in the Bible, you know. Well, it wasn't. And so uncertainty builds up. What about global warming? You know, it seems that life on the planet is 
going to come to an end if we believe some scientists. Uh, who can forget 9-11? You know, with the rampant rise of terrorism, it seems that our personal security is uncertain. And I think we would all have experienced that to some measure. All you've got to do is go to an airport and you're immediately aware that our security is at risk. There's an uncertainty everywhere. And, and what about the year just gone by in Australian politics, the year 2013? Three prime ministers in one year. And that breeds uncertainty in our, our thinking, in our confidence in national leadership. Now, these are kind of big picture things that affect the way we think. But even where you and I live on an everyday scale, there's a whole series of events that are happening that make for uncertainty. You know, marriages seem to be uncertain. It's a tragic trend that we're seeing in the 21st century. Economic uncertainty, relational uncertainty, all of these things. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, one of the famous uh, passages of Scripture, tells us very clearly that there's going to be all these changing seasons of life. There's going to be a, a season for life, a season for death, a season for finding things, a season for losing things, a, seems, a season for dancing, a season for weeping. You know, all these changing circumstances. And then on top of it all, the Bible says that these are divinely appointed seasons. So we know for sure it's going to happen, but it breeds a certain level of uncertainty into our thinking. Uncertainty, uncertainty, uncertainty. It's everywhere. So with all of this uncertainty, there's two big questions that are raised. How do we know that the dreams we pursue or the decisions we make are God's will for our life? That's the first big question. With all this under, uh, um, uncertainty, how do we know what God's will might be? The second question is, how can we live with a clarity that frees us from apprehension and hesitation and sort of launches us forward with confidence and courage? Well, they're the two questions that I want to answer today. This series is about uh, seizing your moment, and it's based on this book, Chasing Daylight, by Erwin McManus. It's in our resource centre, and you can purchase it. It's a great read. It's got some great chapters in it. There's a chapter in here on uncertainty and I pulled a couple of ideas out of that chapter but a lot of what I'm going to say this morning you won't find in here so I don't look for it in here as much. But this is a good read and I'd uh, recommend you uh, purchase it and uh, enjoy it. You'll learn from it. Last week the lead pastor talked about seizing your moment by taking the initiative. Well today I'm talking about seizing your moment in the midst of of uncertainty. I like this word seize. Pastor Carl talked about it last week and uh, kind of teased it out from a Greek perspective but I've just looked at the dictionary meaning today and it simply means this. It means to snatch or, or, or to grab something or to take hold of something. Now if I snatched you or, or grabbed you or took a hold of you, you'd want to know why I was being so aggressive. What's up? Why are you being so aggressive? Seizing the moment when there's uncertainty says to me that we're going to take 
hold of indecision by the neck, as it were, and, and, and shake it into submission. I kind of like the imagery of that. I, I, I can see myself, you know, grabbing uh, uncertainty and, and shaking it. You know, I'm, I'm going to take hold of you this year. I'm shaking it down and stomping on it and overcoming and going forward. I like the imagery of it. To seize the moment means that we're going to do something aggressive to take control of indecision instead of being controlled by indecision. So get ready for some action. One thing I've learned from all this uncertainty is that I cannot control all the circumstances of my life. But I can control how I live. I want you to really get that. I cannot control all the circumstances of my life, but I can control how I live my life. Despite what's going on around you, despite all this uncertainty, you can control how you live in the midst of that uncertainty. Last week, Pastor Carl introduced us to Jonathan, the son of King Saul, who was the first king of Israel. And Jonathan was certain about a whole lot of things. But at the same time, and I love this about him, he was able and willing to live life in the realm of uncertainty. So he's certain of a whole lot of things, and there's a whole bunch of us here today who are certain of a whole lot of things. But there's some things that you're not certain of. You can live life in that realm of uncertainty. Carl talked to us from 1 Samuel 14, and that's the chapter where... Jonathan goes out to fight the Philistines. He calls out to his armour bearer, remember this? Come, let's go over to the camp of these uncircumcised fellows. I agree with Carl, it does sound a bit English. But, but listen to this. Th this is what Jonathan says next. He says, perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Perhaps? Perhaps? You've got to love his fighting spirit, haven't you? You've got to love this Jonathan character. There's something about his character that kind of really grips you. Um, putting that into plain Australian, this is what he's saying. Let's go over to the enemy camp and pick a fight. Maybe, maybe we'll win. We mightn't win, but maybe we will. I, I don't know how it would work for you, but if I was the armour bearer, I'd have said something like this in response to Jonathan. Wake me up when you know for sure. <laughs> now, what I love about Jonathan is that he knew that there were some things he could not be certain about, but despite this, Jonathan was not going to let this affect the way that he lived his life. He seized the moment. He took a hold of the moment in the midst of all the uncertainty. So how do we seize the moment when uncertainty is all about us? There's two keys, and I want to mention both of them this morning. Here's the first key. Do all you can to work out the will of God. Not really complicated and probably fairly obvious, but very important. Do all you can to work out the will of God. Is it God's will or is it not God's will? And that's what some of you are thinking right this morning as you face that decision you have to make. Is this God's will for me 
or is it not God's will? She loves me, she loves me not. As you stand at the crossroads, which way do I go? Eeny, meeny, miny, moe. If only I could be sure what the will of God was, then all the indecision would go from my life. (coughs) Well, there are some principles that can help us to determine if a matter is God's will or if it's not. Manny and I have lived by these principles for years and we've shared these principles with a whole bunch of people and in the, uh, after the first service somebody came up to me and said, you shared those principles with me 15 years ago and I've used them over and over again and my goodness, have they saved me a lot of grief. And I can't remember who it is. <laughs> I really can't. Uh, but Manny and I have live by these principles. I've shared some of them with you. I want to share them again this morning. We could spend the whole morning on these. So we're going to move through them pretty quickly. First principle, God leads by his written word. You know, the Bible isn't just a book which contains the word of God. How many times have you heard me say that over the years? It is the word of God. It's a supernatural book. It speaks to us speaks right into the circumstances of our life. And this is why here at Catalyst, we're so big on encouraging you to read and journal every single day of your life, as much as you possibly can. I'm encouraged. The whole leadership team here at the church is incredibly encouraged that out of just a fairly brief comment I made last week in in the welcome, a whole bunch of you went out and got the reading program for 2014. I'm really excited about that. Uh, A lot of books went. A lot of books went. And that tells me that some of you are making a a, a new decision to uh, read the Word of God in a disciplined way. Um, There are, um, you know, so... So many things that God says to us out of his word. Psalm 119, verse 105, we all know it. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. And the whole psalm, if you read the whole psalm, is really uh, written to sort of lift up the value of the word of God. Here's the second principle. God leads little by little. God is never in a hurry. God leads little by little. I've got to tell you something that after... Yeah, a lifetime of trying to do the will of God, that really bugs me. It bugs me that God never seems to be in a hurry. I mean, you just think about it. God's redemptive plan, it's his perfect will for men and women everywhere to be exposed to the claims of Christ. But it's 6,000 years of history. What's all this business about Israel having to go to Egypt and then... 400 years and then fight for the land and, and all that stuff with David and the other kings and one king's good and one's bad and then 300, 400 years of silence between the testaments and then Jesus comes and wow, new covenant. Now 2,000 years later it's still going. What's that all about? It bugs me. It bothers me. And it's all God's perfect will. God is never in a hurry. 
Let me say this, beware of doing anything which appears to come from nowhere, especially if there's pressure on you to make a quick decision. It says in uh, Exodus chapter 23, and this is great, but I will not dry them out in a single year because the, lo- because the land would become desolate and the wild animals too numerous for you. Little by little, I will dry them out before you until you have increased enough to take possession of the land. It was God's perfect will for Israel to enter the promised land, yet he wanted it to happen slowly over time. I want you to get that. The perfect will of God, that it happens little by little, slowly. God's never in a hurry. Sanctification, one of the great doctrines of the Bible. Jesus told us that we should live in his likeness. The apostles wrote about it. We should live in his likeness. We should become more like Jesus. And yet Paul tells us that's only going to happen little by little. It's going to take a lifetime. God's never in a hurry. I don't get it. Third principle. God leads through the counsel of spiritual leaders. It's a well-established biblical pattern to seek counsel from spiritual friends or leaders. You know, men and women who've got a lot of God wisdom inside them. Not just anybody. People you can trust because of the kind of life they're living. Nathan counseled David. Paul counseled Peter. Priscilla and Aquila counseled Apollos. In Hebrews 13 verse 17 it says, Obey your leaders, submit to their authority and they keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Be prepared to talk over your decisions with somebody. Now the scripture says in the mouth of two or three is a principle or a truth established. It's a biblical way of doing things. Fourth principle, God leads by our own best thinking. See, God's given us a brain. He wants us to use our brain. It it, it fascinates me. Again, over many years, I've asked people on the verge of making a decision, well, what do you think? Well, I don't know. I'm waiting for God to tell me. I said, yeah, but what do you think? See, what they're waiting for is some angel to ride it in the clouds or for Jesus to appear at the foot of their bed in the middle of the night. I, for one, don't want that to happen, by the way. It would scare the socks off me. <laughs> These people say, oh, I just love that. <laughs> Good for you. Don't invite me over to your house that night. <laughs> I mean it. <laughs> um, God wants us to use our brain and You know, we can draw from life experiences, from education, from the experiences of others. In Ephesians 5 verse 15, Paul says, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity. Now, a few verses later, uh, he says, Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of God is. Some translations have that as... uh, saying walk circumspectly and if you greet that out the imagery is of a cat walking along a picket fence you know walking along the the the, the edges the, the points of the picket fence and you can imagine a cat so carefully step after step and Paul's saying that's how you should live your life carefully uh, think it out use your head next principle God leads through circumstances 
you know, on their own, circumstances can be dangerous. But they can be an indicator. And there's lots of examples in Scripture of men and women of God being led by the circumstances around them. Acts 17 is a good one. That's uh, Paul on Mars Hill in Athens. You know, what am I going to preach about? How am I going to do this? Uh, should I preach to them? And all the Athenians are full of themselves, full of their own wisdom. And Paul looks at what he uh, is around him and he uses the circumstances to preach that famous sermon. Sixth principle, God leads by the inner witness of the Holy Spirit. You know, when you become a Christian, an inner conviction that you're born again takes place. And, you know, this is one of those supernatural things that can't really be explained until you become a Christian. People say to me, or have said to me over the years, and probably said it to you as well, you know, how do you really know you're a Christian? Well, I just know that I know that I know. It's something inside me. It can't be defined. It's not tangible. Uh, Romans uh, describes this. Romans 8 verse 16, it says, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. See, it's a still, small voice. It's the Spirit of God speaking to our spirit. So what's the Spirit of God saying to your spirit? The witness of the Spirit. Now, Listen to this because everything I've just said is worthless to you unless you get this last bit. When you try to work out if it's God's will or not, put all of those principles together. Don't just pick one out and say, yep, that seems to be a green light, I'm off. Line them all up. Wait until you get six green lights. And then you can be fairly certain that that is God's will for you. So just pause for a moment before I go into this second point. Um, that situation that you have, you haven't got time to do it you know, thoroughly right at the moment, but these are the questions you need to be asking yourself. Does the word of God li line up with it? Uh, is this something that's happening little by little? Uh, what are the other spiritual people in my life saying about it? What's my own best thinking on this matter? What are the circumstances around this matter? What's the witness of the Spirit? Okay? I've got more points than a porcupine today. That was my first point with six sub-points. Here's my second point, but there's only one point, all right? And we're getting near the end. First point, do all you can to work out the will of God. The second point, and, and I, you know, when I wrote this down, I thought, oh, there's got to be a better way of putting this, a more exciting way of putting this. And then I decided the thing that makes it so exciting is the fact that it's so simple. The second key is have faith in God. Have faith in God. You know, you can do all you can to work out the will of God. And as I've said, many and I have done this over 30 years, more than 30 years. But we've found time and time again, even when we've got things lined up, we say, this, yep, we're certain this is the will of God. We go to step out and we balk. There's still that indecision about taking that next step and launching in 
to the environment of the decision that we're making. This is why faith in God is so important. You cannot break free of uncertainty unless you have faith in God. And there should be a faith element in whatever you do. Some people say, well, if you know the will of God, it's easy. You just step out and go for it. Well, you know, it says in Romans, Paul says this, he says, everything that doesn't come from faith is sin. There's got to be a faith element in everything that you do. (coughs) Jesus knew the will of God was for him to die, but he struggled to embrace God's will. And why wouldn't you? (coughs) He knew that the consequences (coughs) of doing God's will were severe. He knew that it was going to end his life. I'm sometimes really surprised that people are surprised that a lifelong journey with God shouldn't include some kind of suffering at some point. Puzzles me. You know, Jesus said, one, everybody's favourite verse. This is everybody's favourite verse. In this life, you will have trouble. Right? Great verse, isn't it? We all love it? Yeah, I'm not getting much love at the moment. Uh, In another place he says, um, when trouble comes, (laughs) when trouble comes. Well, thank you, Jesus. That's a great encouragement. See, even when we're in the centre of God's perfect will for our life, trouble will come. And that is why we must have faith in God. When Jonathan picked that fight with the Philistines, do you think that yeah, he went up there, had this fight and barely broke a sweat. Think about that for a moment. You know, I think we read this and we see this, this brave young man and his armour bearer going up and cutting and thrusting, doing all sorts of damage, winning this battle, then turning around and just casually walking back to their own lines. I'm telling you, they would have sweated. And I reckon there was some bloodshed, some of their own blood. And it's even possible that they were quite severely wounded. I mean, why wouldn't it be like that? In that kind of primal warfare, it's hard to imagine Jonathan getting through it unscarred at all. See, my point in this is, even if we live and have the victory in life, it doesn't mean that it will come without any suffering at all without any uncertainty at all. And all of us know that. Even those of us who are well entrenched in the culture of the kingdom and are living God's way, you know that even when you're in the centre of God's will, suddenly there can be uncertainty. I mean, our family knows that all too well. Just this past week, out of nowhere, uh, our grandson, Josiah, who was swimming with us in the swimming pool uh, last weekend, full of life. Suddenly, he's in intense pain. He's in emergency. He's having an operation to remove his appendix. They are not removed because they find out there's a big mass inside his stomach. Well, you can think what that was like for 24 hours for the family. Uncertainty everywhere. 
totally uncertain. But we had faith in God. And uh, the end result at this time is what Joey was in, the first service. And uh, even though there are some challenges ahead and some issues to be dealt with, uh, he's out of danger. There's no uh, threat of the big C. It's a benign growth that they will be able to deal with. You know, suddenly there's uncertainty and it happens to all of us. Life is going to be like that. We're not going to go through life unscarred. Jonathan had faith in God even though he was uncertain about the outcome of his venture against the Philippines. Remember, he said, maybe God will help us. See, Jonathan had worked out it was likely the will of God to engage the enemy of God, but he was still uncertain about the outcome. And he went out, engaged the enemy with faith in God. We've got to get that. To seize the moment, you need faith. You work out the will of God and then you step out with faith in God. You know, if we're going to seize divine moments in 2014, we must also accept the reality that we have no control over many things, even when it is the will of God. Even then, we have no control over whether we live or whether we die. We must instead take responsibility for what we do have control over and that is how we live in the midst of this uncertainty. Jonathan wasn't choosing to die, he didn't have a death wish but he was choosing how he would live. He left the consequences of his actions in the hands of God. He put his faith in God, stepped out in faith. I don't know how this is going to turn out God but it is your will that the enemies of Israel be defeated. So I'm stepping out in faith. I don't know how it's going to end for me, but this is what I'm doing. His statement, maybe, maybe God will help us, begins to make a bit more sense, doesn't it? See, it's not the statement of a madman or somebody with a death wish. It's the statement of somebody who has faith in God. He knew that God had a plan for Israel and that the Philippines were against that plan and that he could do something. The people that we've got most faith in are the people who have lived long and good and consistent lives. That's just the way it is. If you, if you think of somebody, I've really got faith in him or really got faith in her, there's somebody who you've known over a lifetime to have lived consistently, dependable, safe, secure, responsible lives. Uh, my father was like that for me. He was the most positive influence of anybody in my life. Um, he was known far and wide. He was a man of great character. And people would say things like, well, you can trust NPM. That was his nickname, NPM. He was consistently good to people. I never, ever once heard him speak ill about anybody. This was a man who, was, who had been to war. This was a man who served his lifetime in his church in uh, you know, high-level leadership areas. Um, he was a man in business, but I never, ever heard him speak badly of anybody. He was honest in business, faithful to my mother all of his life, 
faithful to God all his life. I had faith in him because he was consistent. Now I'm saying that to say this. Hebrews 13 verse 8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. See, Jesus is God in the flesh. Jesus came to the planet to explain God to us. And what we saw in Jesus was a picture of God. And so Jesus explained to us how big and wide and long and high the love of God was. Jesus had our interest at heart. Jesus has our future at heart. Therefore, that's a picture of how God sees us and how God is involved in our lives. He is intensely interested in our lives. I just read this morning out of Luke chapter 12, uh, you know, that little section about the sparrows falling. And it says there that you know, God even knows when a sparrow falls. God knows how many hairs are on your head. Awesome. That's how intensely involved in our lives he is. Not for one moment <coughs> in all of eternity has any of that changed. God is at work behind the scenes for your good. I love that uh, section we read a few days ago in Genesis, I think about Genesis 23, 24, where Abraham, Abraham sends his servant up uh, to his cousin or brother-in-law, whatever, uh, to uh, find a wife for his son Isaac. And uh, when the servant gets up there and he finds Rebecca, I love what he says. He says, ah, I can see that God was working behind the scenes to make this happen. That whole uh, section, uh, you see the servant making that kind of statement. Ah, I can see that God was at work here. See, the faithfulness of God. You can trust God to work for your interest. And some of you this morning, you need to think back to times in your life where you, you thought, how on earth is this ever going to come out? How is this going to end? And then suddenly it all comes together and you can see that God was at work behind the scenes. That should build your faith. God is consistently like that. Have faith in God. Jonathan knew this. He trusted the character of God. And you can trust God also. Now I've reached the grand old age of legal retirement. Legal retirement. That means legally I can retire. Men and I want to slow down. We really do. Um, but there's massive uncertainty about when we're going to get a chance to do that. My role as uh, president of A2A seems to be getting busier. Uh, I'm being asked to do more with the Willow Creek Association. I have to travel overseas three times this year, make who knows how many interstate trips. Mandy continues on the staff of the church here at Catalyst, leading the Grow Ministry. Her phone never seems to stop ringing. Financially, we could stop tomorrow. But we feel very uncertain about the precise nature of our future because we just don't know when this is all going to come together for us. But at this moment, it is very uncertain. But we are determined to seize every moment that God gives us in 2040 and trust him 
We're going to work out what the will of God is and we're doing that. We're applying those principles even these days. But we're placing our faith in God and we're seeing things slowly being worked out. In all the uncertainty around us, we have a confidence about the year. We're not overwhelmed by the uncertainty. We're determined to seize the divine moments that God is going to give us this year. And despite the uncertainty that we might face, we're going to do the will of God as much as we understand it and just trust him. I hope and I pray that everyone in this room will join me and seize the moments that God gives you this year despite the uncertainty that you may be facing in your life. I'm going to pray in just a moment for folk and in the first service I gave the opportunity for anybody who was facing some kind of decision but just felt constrained by uncertainty, just didn't know what to do, didn't know which way to go, uh, to stand. And, you know, there's no shame in doing that because we've all been there. I've certainly been there. Men have certainly been there. Um, the leadership team here at the church, we've all been there. There's no shame in that. And I say that to encourage you to stand in a moment because I'm going to pray, and I've got real faith this morning to believe that the Holy Spirit will deposit something in your life as I pray. I'm going to pray that you will be able to work out to the best of your ability what the will of God is on the matter. And I'm going to pray that you receive a fresh deposit of faith that allows you to see God in your life as the one who will never fail you, as the one who is intimately involved, as the one who you can trust implicitly. So, if that's you this morning, why don't you stand right now? A whole bunch of people, just like the first service. This is not just a casual moment. We believe in the power of the Holy Spirit to really minister life. And I believe that now as I pray that you're going to receive something and you're going to find your way through these decisions that you have to make with a new confidence. So, Father, we come to you now in the name of Jesus. We thank you first of all for sending Jesus so that we understand better your love and your grace. And this morning, we pray that every man, woman, every young person standing will have a better understanding of what your will is, that they will be able to work out with you you want them to do in these matters. Lord, speak to their hearts. Help them to work through the principles that we've talked about. Help them to get to that place so that they know as much as they can be certain what your will is.
thank you. And then, Father, we pray that they'll have a fresh faith in you. We're not asking for anything. We're just asking for your great love, which you've proven to us over many years, to be manifest in such a way that we just know that you will continue to work behind the scenes, even ahead of time, making a way for us, doing something that will just make it possible for all these things that we're so concerned about, trying to decide about, to come together. Father, our faith is in you. Our eyes are on you, the source of our life, the one who can be trusted. And we thank you. So, Father, impart something supernatural right now. Deposit of your divine nature into every life that is standing. Let this be a breakthrough minute, a breakthrough day. And we pray that in the name of Jesus, in the name that is above every other name. Amen.